0: Amen. So before we go into the specifics of what to do when you're under pressure, let's just kind of review what we hit uh, last week. And going back to uh, what Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians chapter four, and verse seven, he said, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us." And listen to what he says: We were we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Can I have an amen? amen perplexed but not in despair you know why can you be perplexed and not perplexed and not in despair because you serve the god of all wisdom Amen. and what's not apparent in one moment can be very quickly to you persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed Amen. so that's just a brief you know summary of things that uh, that he felt maybe you felt the same way maybe tonight that's where you're at in your life your family your situation your finances, your health, whatever it is. There are all kinds of pressures that come on us in life. You could be under immense emotional pressure or mental pressure tonight. Uh, You know, people growing up, we all experience what, uh, what peer pressure is like. Can I tell you something, though? Peer pressure never ends. You just grow up and it changes. But people still want to please other folks. And there are other folks always willing to give you pressure in terms of influence to try to make you conform to the way they see things, and it seems to never end. And so I want to just point out to to you tonight, before we go back into what David dealt with and explain his situation, the the goal is, well, Pastor Art's going to give us a wing-ding of a teaching tonight, and he's going to teach us how we'll never be under pressure again. I read my beak tonight. That's not what I'm giving you. On the contrary, I'm telling you, as long as you're on this earth, you're going to be under some kind of pressure. I know some of you are thinking, can I have a second opinion tonight? (laughs) Make a difference how many opinions you get. The Word of God is very, very plain. All those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be pressure of various kinds. We're in a fallen world. That's just the nature of it. The essence of the teaching is to teach you how to deal with the pressure in such a way that you go on and you live a a victorious life in Christ. So no matter how it presses on you, you have the ability to press back. (laughs) So you see the difference in the approach here. It's not, we're going to wave a magic wand and you're never going to have pressure again. No, we're going to give you something more valuable than that to teach you how not just to, you know, exist or, or put up with the pressure, but how to actually thrive by applying certain spiritual principles in your life. Now, most of you don't have to be told, yeah, there's pressure in this life. You know, when you're a child of God, the pressure increases. Uh, this world has fallen, amen. Uh, all the time we see folks trying to criminalize Christian beliefs and practices, from preachers being arrested on the streets of of London and Piccadilly Circus, to in Canada, pastors being incarcerated for simply teaching the truth about human sexuality. It's there, and it's designed to shut you up. And uh, at first, it's just, well, we don't like you. We're going to somehow defame you and criticize you on social media to the point where it becomes criminalized to be a believer. Right now, we're kind of in between those two. Can you sense there's greater pressure going on? Say it with me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Uh, so it's not, oh, pastor's going to teach us how to get out from all the, under all the pressure. No, he's going to teach you how to be victorious despite the pressure. And Say it with me, greater is he. Shout it out, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Raise your hands tonight if you're experiencing an unusual level of pressure in some area of your life. Amen. So I walked into the right church tonight. Praise the Lord. I like it when I do that. <laughs> there, there are some churches on this road that would not like me walking in their church and <laughs> having much to say at all. So I'm glad I'm in the right place. David expressed this in Psalm 57. If you want to go there, we we'll look at verse four through six and then the rest of the chapter tonight. He was actually on the run. Saul had made threats against him, and Saul basically wanted to take him out. We see in Saul, the disobedient servant, he wouldn't do what God told him to do. That leads of course, to insecurity and jealousy. And they sang this refrain, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his Tens of thousands. The Bible says he kept a jealous or an envious eye on him, and that turned into a murderous spirit. So the pressure on David is very, very real. And entire parties were going out for one thing in mind to take this man and those that followed him out. And here's what he says in Psalm 57. I'm in the midst of lions, I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are are sharp swords. Even back then, despite the threat of, of death through spears and arrows and swords, David is saying the biggest threat and the biggest source of pressure were the mouths of other people. And that's always going to be a source of pressure for you and for me. We've got to learn not to be moved by those things. I said we need to learn not to be moved by what people think about us or say about us. It's what God says about you that counts. Are you here tonight? He goes on and said, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. So regardless of the kind of pressure tonight that you're under, uh, the enemy would love for you to believe falsely that there's just no way out. Well, in the Lord, there's always a way to victory. There's always a path to walking this out and being more than a conqueror. Confess it right now. I am more More than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. Amen? You're more than a conqueror. Turn to somebody and say, that's pretty special. Yes, you are. Praise the Lord. So last week we talked about what's the pressure for? What is the pressure designed to do? What's it it trying to get you to do? Number one, to get you to give up. To compromise your destiny, settle for an ordinary natural life. Just throw your hands up and quit. But we're not of those kind of people who quit or shrink back. Say it with me. I cannot, be defeated, I cannot be defeated. And I will not quit. Now, I cannot be defeated is spiritual and scriptural truth. The I will not quit is about you having a decision that says I'm not going to quit. No matter how bad it gets or how much pressure is on me. I'm not going to quit. That's on me. First part's on God and it's spiritual truth. He's all powerful. The second part is you and I have an attitude that we're just not going to quit. So say it again. I will not be defeated. I will not not quit." quit. Number two, they get into the flesh, which means they step out of the realm of the spirit and the word of God to deal with something in the natural. They step out of faith. They step out of the confidence of God. They step out of the love of God. Sometimes it's a, it's a fit of flesh, and sometimes it's them trying to solve something. Raise your hand if you ever tried to solve something yourself and help God out just a little bit. Come on, raise it up high. That's what we call responding incorrectly to pressure. Now, while we all understand why we do that, how many would say, just like the Scripture says, the flesh produces nothing? Did it help? No. Boy, was that definitive. Let me just ask it again for fun. Did it help? No. No. But how am you even after it didn't work? Tried something else. <laughs> well, that didn't work. Let's try five more fleshlings and see if the fleshlings are anointed. No, they're not. You gotta find the wisdom in the mind of God in that situation. Another thing we do when it comes to, um, you know, getting into the flesh here, a fit of flesh means that we just emotionally respond in an inappropriate way, and that causes us to make even worse decisions. Never let your emotions run you when you're under pressure, because you will make a mistake. You will make that thing worse. You do not make situations better. It's the same principles when we say when you're you're grieving, when you're under the the stress and the strain of a spirit of grief trying to come on you, that's not a good time to make life-changing decisions. It's the same thing here. Diving further into the wisdom of God rather than trying to solve things in the flesh when you're under pressure is the good way to handle it. Now, you know, likened to this is when we're under pressure so then we turn and try to put other people under pressure to fix it for us. If you're under financial pressure, that's not time for you to put somebody else under financial pressure to fix your problem. That's not faith. Amen. Amen. That's a type of coercion and that God's not going to bless something like that. Amen? It's like you show up to church with a real nice watch and some brother walks up to you and says, you know, I'm believing God for a watch just like that. Yes. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord's leading you to sow that thing. Are they believing God? No, they're believing you. They're believing you to deliver that watch into their hands. That's not faith. That's called witchcraft. That's manipulation. Yeah. It's fine to come in when somebody comes in with a nice watch. God bless them. You know, just as an example, say, "Let's praise the Lord. I'm, I'm rejoicing with you. Glory to God." You know, but if you add to it, I'm believing God for a watch just like that. Well, you're headed down the right, but the wrong path. Say, so "I don't need to put pressure on people." Y'all realize that the Lord is your God, and He's all powerful, and He is all sufficient. He has everything you need. Does that make sense? Uh, you're going to receive whatever it is you need by putting pressure on the Word of God, not on people. A whole lot faster than you'd ever get ahead with people, putting pressure on people. And besides that, you'll find out that people will get a, a clue what you're doing and stop returning your texts and your calls. Amen. Amen. And, you know, there's a lot of so-called charismatic witchcraft that goes on in the name of the Lord. When you have a need, you go to God. And I have a better amen than that. Yes. Amen. You go to him because he has proven time and time again he is faithful, isn't he, church? So this pressure that you're under is designed to get you to give up, to give in, number two, to get into the flesh. Number three, to come off of the word of God, to under pressure, turn loose of what God has said. Mark 4 paints this picture very, very clearly. You're doing just fine. You know, you believe the promises of God, you spring up in joy and all of a sudden when trouble or persecution comes because of the Word of God, you wilt away or you fade away. Why? It doesn't say if trouble or persecution will come because of the Word. It says what? When? If you get into the Word of God, you can guarantee that you're going to be a target for some kind of trouble or persecution. Some of you are thinking, well, what's the incentive for doing that then? (laughs) Because you receive more in this life by being a faith person. If you could see your life on two different tracks, one with faith, one without faith, there's no comparison as to what God's going to do with faith in your heart. You're going to live far below your privileges if you don't live the faith lifestyle. So even though we see God doing more in us and through us, Through the lifestyle of faith, a sower sows the word and the word comes forth and springing forth. When that trouble of persecution comes, that's not a time to throw down your faith and let go of that promise. You know what time it is? It's time to grab on with both hands and say, you know what? I'm not throwing down. The word has brought me this far and the word will bring me the rest of the way. You hold on to that. You don't confess it less, you confess it more. You don't read it less, you read it more. You don't memorize it less, you memorize it more. When the devil puts pressure on you, you go further into the Word of God than you ever have before, (coughs) and you hang on to it, saying, I'm not a quitter, I'm not getting into the flesh, and I'm not turning loose of the Word of God. In fact, Mark 4 indicates that people tend to actually get offended over the Word. Here I'm believing God and it's getting worse. You're believing God to pay your bills and you get 10 new ones. You're praying God for a healing and five new symptoms show up. You see what I'm saying to you? You don't back off the word just because of something you see or you feel or you hear. You stay on what did God say and you don't get offended by it. I've seen this through the years where somebody will you know play around with this faith stuff. You know, just kind of, you know, fake it and kind of parrot people. But when push comes to shove, when the pressure comes because of the Word of God, they're so quick to let loose of the Word of God. You can always tell an authentic faith person, guess what? They dig in when pressure comes. They don't turn loose. I look at somebody and say, I can tell by your demeanor. You're the real deal. (laughs) You dig in. But what's the pressure designed to do? Ah, that stuff doesn't work for you. It only works for certain special people. That stuff isn't scriptural. I can just uh, go around this room because I know enough of the stories in this room to tell you what God has brought people through. And the people that say the faith doesn't work, they're liars. Right. Or they're just ignorant of the Word of God. It works. Amen. Our lives would be just a, a far cry from what they are without the principles of the Word. Amen. Turn this mind and tell them great things happen, great things happen, happen. when we believe God. Amen. That doesn't mean somebody's not going to heaven if they choose to live a different lifestyle than the lifestyle of faith, maybe a little more religious and legalistic. If they've accepted Christ, they believe in their heart, confess with their mouth. There are brothers and sisters, they'll be there. But their life on this planet will be far below their privileges. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've come too far to give up. Amen. Put too much into it, too much time, too many services. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I've heard too many of you your sermons. (laughs) So much you're preaching, I'm not backing up now, amen. This is designed also to get you, uh, number four, to think negatively. To come out of a place of peace. Great peace, the Bible says, have they who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Nothing, nothing can offend them. Nothing can scandalize them because they're just so focused on the Word of God. Psalm 119, 165. Isaiah 26, uh, verse 3 tells us a great, uh, not just great peace from the Word of God, but when your mind is fixed and stayed on the Lord Himself there's a great peace available to you. So what do you do? You don't think negatively. Don't go around, this isn't going to work for me. You know, nothing ever good happens for me. Yeah, I believe God and I get smacked down again. You got to, you know, police your own thought life and arrest those rogue thoughts and don't give them any place. Nobody can take dominion over your own mind but you. Let me try that again. Nobody can take dominion over your mind but you. And if you won't do it, nobody's going to do it. And you can look on the outside like a good little Christian and everything's together. But if you want real peace under pressure, you've got to make sure your mind is fixed on the Word of God and stayed on the Lord and the devil will do everything he can to get your mind off the Word of God and off of the grace of God. Amen? Off His presence. Number five, the pressure is there to get you to speak the problem. Um, It's often said, and we've often taught this, that... um, you know, there's, there's the voice of the devil, there's the voice of the Word of God, then there's you. And guess who the deciding factor is? That's you. And how do you decide? How do you demonstrate what side you're coming down on? With your mouth. Don't let the devil have your mouth. Your mouth is, of course, the, the key, uh, you know, instrument in terms of guiding your life. It's like the rudder of a ship. And you and I have to make sure we maintain faith pressure on that. Don't start talking the problem. People oftentimes under pressure will spend more time talking about the problem than they do the Word of God. I mean, you can hardly find, of course, any kind of problem you've been going through and not find a ton of scriptures to go with that thing. Amen? Got a healing problem? There's a ton of scriptures. Got a problem in a relationship? Tons of scriptures. Got a lot of problem in your heart in terms of unforgiveness and bitterness? There's a ton of scriptures. Have a financial issue? There's a ton of scriptures. You can either speak the problem... Or you can speak the word of God over that situation. Turn to somebody and tell them the devil's after your mouth. I mean, God help us if we don't use our mouth against our own lives. There's enough coming at us. Amen? You've heard the concept of friendly fire. When your forces actually make a mistake and actually end up shooting somebody that is either on your team or an ally associated with your team, it's tragic, but it happens how horrible would it be for you to use your mouth against your own life or against your family? Amen? Confess the Word of God over your family. Well, I've got some honorary family members. doesn't make any difference. Speak the Word of God over those family members. If you keep saying what they are, they're never going to change. If you keep saying what you are, you're never going to change. So don't use your mouth as a weapon against your own life. So that's the the goal of the devil is to get you to give up, to get in the flesh, to come off the word of God, to think negatively, to speak the problem. But turn to somebody and say, I'm not going to do that. So then what do you do to be victorious under pressure? I want to give these principles to you and spend most of the time talking about number three tonight. But go back to Psalm 57. And the first key for you and for me when we're under pressure is to take deliberate refuge in God. Where do you run to when you're under pressure? Well, a lot of people run to entertainment. They run to drugs. They run to alcohol. They run to illicit relationships. You know, they, they run to anything but the Lord. You need to run and make Him your refuge. And there's specific ways in Scripture that we do this. Well, let me leave this uh, uh, verse 1 with you and read this. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. In whom? In God Himself. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. This means that we go deeper into his presence under pressure and deeper into his word under pressure. We don't begin to drift. You see people all the time and they're under pressure and something's not working. They they drift from the things of God. They'll drift from the place of prayer. They'll drift from a place of of Bible reading and study. They'll drift from church. They'll drift from their ministry. These are all huge mistakes and they're all based on pressure on your mind, on your emotions, on your life, on your finances. It's the wrong decision. We don't unplug from God when we're under pressure. We go in deeper. And I have a better amen tonight. You go in deeper. The same principle when you make a mistake, you don't run from him. You go to him. Psalm 91 is a parallel to this. In verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High does what? Dwells there. It's not something you come in and out of. It's your lifestyle to walk with him and plug in in a deep way. They'll rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I mean, you know, that's a pretty safe place to be. Notice two names of God here. Most High means El Elyon, which means if you're under great pressure, He's bigger than your pressure. He's the Most High. Say it with me, He's the Most High. He's the most high. I like what Griflois said. Well, he, if He's the Most High, then the devil's Most Low. Yeah. Amen. Notice you go quitting over what Most Low is doing in your life. Most High and then the Almighty means El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. This is who you and I have access to. I mean, in light of who He is, and you're only going to have that consciousness of His greatness if you're in His presence and in His Word. Say, it with me, consciousness? Watch this say, consciousness. We want a greater consciousness of God, not a greater consciousness of the pressure. The more you go in, the more conscious you'll be of Him, and less conscious you'll be of the problem. And in this room, this room tonight, there are a pot full of problems, but if we want to be, you know, God conscious, we have to dive in in the midst of that pressure. A lot of people do just the opposite. They withdraw. You see it all the time. Look, it don't make any difference what you used to do. You can make a decision tonight that I am not going to withdraw under pressure. I'm going deeper in under pressure. Watch this. I'll save the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, and my God in whom I trust. It later goes on in the scripture to talk about being covered with his feathers and under his wings you'll find rest. A lot of people believe this is actually, you know, a a declaration of the precepts or the principles of God's word. You're safe in his presence and you're safe in his word. Say it, I am safe in his presence. I I am safe in his word. And let me tell you something, when you're under pressure, the church is not your enemy. There is an anointing in the body of Christ that you and I need when we're under pressure. And as well, when you're feeling better, you know, plug back in. When you're feeling better, start serving again. No, do not operate by your feelings when you're under pressure. You're falling for the trap of the enemy. Amen. Just make a quality decision that the last thing you're going to do is withdraw from where God has established you and set you there. Because if you're there, not only are you receiving an anointing, God is using you and anointing you to touch other lives. Amen. You're part of that Holy Ghost Circuit. Come on, say, I am part of the Holy Ghost Circuit at Hope Harbor Church. Amen. Amen. Anybody knows what happens when you got Christmas lights up and one string blows a fuse? Aren't you glad they're not like that they used to be, those little bulbs? Yeah. And you had to check every single one of them? Now, if you're like me, you don't even bother, you just throw them away. <laughs> I, was, I started to say, Go to Walmart. No, not if you want to be tormented, to go to Walmart. Amen. <laughs> those people are nuts over there. <laughs> so, I think of the Scarecrow when I think about them, if I only had a brain. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was dealing with some, some outdoor lights, string lights, not the Christmas variety, and, and one section wasn't lighting up, and so I checked it. And sure enough, I opened up that little thing, you know, by the plug, and, and man, it's completely black. Something had shorted that thing out. Shazam! Rocket science, right? And very conveniently, next to the one in that plug was a spare. Lightning fast mine. I'll pop out the one <laughs> that's blown and I'll stick the other one in. And then I set a few dies, and click the button again. It's tied to a remote and voila, guess what? The lights worked. Amen. Um, you and I are part of that stream. Amen. Is your light not supposed to shine? Yes. Are we not supposed to be glorifying God? Yes, you're a part of that. Turn to somebody and tell them, go in deeper. Deeper into his word. Deeper into his presence. Deeper. Say it again, deeper into his people, his church. I'm telling you, there's, there's safety in the presence of God. There is safety, especially when you're under pressure and you're on the verge of doing something stupid. I tell you what, just a casual conversation in the household faith, somebody can keep you from stupid. If you have ears to hear. Say, I have ears to hear. And I don't care how long you've been uh, you know, a believer. At some point in time, the devil has put pressure on you to unplug from his presence, to unplug from his word, to unplug from his people. Amen. And maybe you've yielded... At, some time to that. But we're not talking about what you used to be. We're talking about what you are right now. I have have heard this in my spirit now for weeks, that this this congregation in its present configuration is the hungriest bunch of people I've ever ministered to. And I'm telling you, that's saying something. Because I didn't start doing this a week ago. I mean, we've been a full-time ministry somewhere since about 1988. I'm telling you, when you see an intensity like that, get ready. Turn to mind and say, you're going up another level. Come on, tell them, you're going up another level. And your family's going up another level. And your church is going up another level. If you're excited about the things of God before, get ready. I say, get ready. Amen. Well, how can you tell? Well, there's less snoring going on when I'm ministering than there used to be, for example. Uh, You know, let's focus on pot roasts and things like that. It's hard to explain to you when you're in the ministry, a preaching, proclaiming, teaching ministry, but you can just tell when somebody is there. You understand what I'm saying to you? Um, There are some people that are physically there, that kind of a thing, but you can just tell and over time, you can tell, you know, what are, what are most people doing? It's a, it's a spiritual thing. And I'll tell you why that matters. Um, and Keith uh, Moore, Rodney, is famous for saying this and teaching this, but it's so true that utterance in a service is not just affected by the one who's called upon to deliver that message. It's affected by everybody that is there which means when, when people are hungry and dialed in, it causes things to be pulled, amen, from whatever revelation there is there in that communicator. But it calls upon not just that, but upon the Spirit of God to speak through that communicator things they didn't even intend to say. Now, those in the ministry will call that prophetic preaching, prophetic teaching, because it may not be in the notes and that big joke about that. That's not the point. The point is he's trying to get something across, and something in that class or service was brought out by divine will of God because of the what? The faith of the people in that particular service. You see what I'm saying to you? So that just means, uh, despite the pressure, there are a lot of people in this church that are going deeper. Saying, I'm going deeper, deeper in the word, deeper in his presence, deeper into the things of God, deeper into the church. I tell you, it matters because there is is an anointing and an unction there in the corporate setting that takes us all further than we could possibly ever go just on our own. And if you've been involved in a teaching, preaching, ministry, you've taught a class, you know there are days when you're, you're teaching just simply from your knowledge base. There's nothing wrong with that if it's biblical. Say it with me, if it's biblical. But there's just a whole nother flow when you know that there's a demand out there. Somebody walked in that building making a demand. My point is there's a whole bunch of somebodies in this church that keep showing up making a demand. And we just keep doing this. I mean, many want to just keep going up higher and higher and higher? Let him take us as high as he wants to go in these last days because we need everything that he has. So what are we doing? We're under pressure. We're taking refuge in him. Say it with me. I'm going deeper. In his word. In his presence. With his people. Glory to God. I take refuge. Number two, cry out to him. Listen to this in verse 2 and 3. I cry out to God Most High, El Elyon, the Most High God, who vindicates me. He fulfills His purpose for me, one translation says. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth His love and His faithfulness. Here is somebody under pressure who's crying out to God and expecting that God's going to take care of the people that are coming after Him. Now you can go into the flesh and try to deal with people in situations. And how I many you know a lot of our pressure does come from P-E-O-P-L-E? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I've never looked at our dog and said, I'm getting an awful lot of pressure from you, and I'm tired of it in Jesus' name. <laughs> 99% of the pressure I've experienced in and out of the church is what? People. I'm not a veterinarian. I don't I run a rescue society for animals. Say so it with me, it's people. Say again, it's people. It's people. Say cry out. cry out. Cry out to the Lord. Now watch this. When we say cry out to the Lord, we're not talking about how loud you shout. It's not the intensity or the volume of the sound. It's the intensity of the heart. When Hannah was barren, she knelt down in God's presence and her mouth was moving, but nothing was coming out. And Eli, being in a stupid spiritual state as a leader, couldn't discern that she was crying out from the heart. She wasn't drunk and she made it plain. But I'm out here pouring my heart out to God. Well, how many know that God answered her prayer? God responded to that. So don't think that that cry out means make a bunch of noise. Now, our dog, Bluey, has got the biggest mouth of all dogs anywhere in the county. Um, Kelly has an Apple Watch. And when that dog barks, even though he knows you're getting ready to get him out and take him out and take care he barks at such a loud volume. That apple actually records the decibel level of the noise in that ambient situation. Now, let me put this in perspective for you. A typical service at Hope Harbor is around 88 to 92 decibels depending on how many people are here. Does that make sense? Typical worship service when you have uh, vocalists, multiple vocalists, multiple instruments, that's the way it is. You know, And somebody believes that you shouldn't have instruments bless their hearts in their worship service, that's up to them. It's, it's lower, but we like the instruments, hallelujah. We like making a joyful noise, hallelujah. I like the drums and the guitars, amen. I like it all, glory to God. And apparently God does too because he mentions most of these instruments in some fabrication, even in the Old Testament, glory to God. Um, but uh, we're here about uh, nine, you know, 88, 92, something like that. Uh, a rock concert, like the Eagles in concert in their their farewell tour, about 125 decibels. Bluey, 100 decibels. That's why we call him Big Mouth around our house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you hang around that long enough, it's going to do some damage to your hearing. <laughs> So we're not talking about the intensity of the sound or volume. We're talking about what? The intensity of your heart. Are you here today? You cry out then. What's going to happen if you do? Well, he's going to vindicate you. He's going to clear you of blame and suspension. suspension. Some people have leveled blame. at you. Some people put things at your feet. You know, some people have soiled your name. Can I tell you something? Roll that over on God. He knows how to take care of his people. He is a master at clearing the decks. You do not have to go around defending yourself. You don't have to go around whatever. Sooner or later, these folks that do this kind of thing will hang themselves with their behavior. And they will prove, amen, that God is just vindicating you in that situation. Of course, it did happen with David eventually. Amen. Amen. It says that he rebukes those who hotly pursue us. You're crying out to God, not at 100 decibels necessarily, with intensity of heart. He comes along and he deals with those that are pursuing you. In other words, they're putting pressure on you. He comes after to defend you and to rebuke them. What does that mean? Write this down. It means to forbid and to restrain them if you will refuse to give up under pressure and let go of the Word under pressure and get in the flesh under pressure and start talking, you know, the problem and and thinking, if you will just hold on, you'll find that God will come in and restrain the madness of what's going on. You can do it your way or wait upon the Lord. And if so, He will rebuke, He will forbid, He will restrain in that situation. Now, it takes some level of maturity to let God handle things. There's a something about the flesh that just wants to jump in there and help him out. Amen. But he will do it. I don't know. He, he takes too long. Or I don't know if he'll do this. Have trust that your God will deal with those putting pressure on you. Amen. Say, my God rebukes, forbids, restrains those putting pressure on me. Know that he sends heaven's power and resources in your situation. You're not limited to carnal power and methods. Listen to this: God sends supernatural intervention. You're away when you cry out to him. Anybody here ever need supernatural intervention? Above and beyond what you could ever do or anyone could do in the natural. And for you, not just for David. Aren't you glad that you're a believer? if he ever did it for David, then he'll do it for you. Now you may not have a King Saul coming after you, but maybe something's coming after you. Thank God for supernatural intervention. There is no explanation for the success success that people like David had. You know, there's no explanation for the success that people like Gideon have. Hey, you know what? How many do you got? I got several thousand here to work with. God says, that's too many. What? (laughs) And what does he do? going to face a force of tens of thousands with ultimately 300 people. Well, 300 people with an anointing is a powerful force. Amen. Glory to God. That's what you have available to you. And, uh, you know, if you're not careful, you live life like everybody else is natural and you forget that at any given moment, God could release a supernatural answer your way. How long does that take? Just like that. Here comes the answer. Here comes the wisdom. Here comes the deliverance. It all starts with somebody having an intensity of heart to cry out to God. He's no respecter of persons. If he's done it before, he'll do it again. Anybody here ever cried out to God and you watched him move? You had no idea how. Look at somebody and say, how is not your business? business? Crying out is your business. The how is not your business. How is he going to pay this off? How is he going to supply this thing? That's not your concern. Your concern is to cry out and trust him that he's going to do it. He's got a million ways to meet your need. Amen. And then finally, he uses something really, really strange to do it or unique to do it. I like Jerry Seville talks about the, you know the time that he was believing God for you know first airplane. He went to do a meeting in this town, and uh, at the last minute they canceled on and said, we don't want any part of your ministry. So he found an old laundromat <laughs> that was closed. And the puff, I think, was a, a flipped-over dryer or something like that where he opened up the Bible. And um, this man drives up in an old beat-up pickup truck and Dirty Overhauls, a big old man, you know, burly guy. And <laughs> he... Uh, he gets out and he meets me and says, "Are are you, are you the preacher a meeting in this town?" He goes, "Well, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to preach." He's like, "Well, God told me to come see you. My name is Oop." He said, "I'm here because God told me to be, and you'll never see me again." And handed him a big old paper bag of cash. Imagine this: you're praying like a month before, and you're saying, "God, now this is the way I want you to meet this need. I'm going to go to a town, and they're going to reject my ministry." And so without advertisement or location information, I'm going to start preaching out of a laundromat that's been closed. And you're going to send this guy up in this old beat-up pickup truck. And he's going to get out, and he's going to bring me a big you know, bag of money in a paper bag. That's how you're going to do this, God, in Jesus' name. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought of that in a million years. Isn't that the truth? And how many you know that God has met your need in some ways that you never would have thought up at all? He has a thousand ways, and He has people out there that will listen to Him. Amen. (laughs) So the how is not your part. Come on, shout it out. The how is not my part. The crying out is. The intensity of heart is. And there he goes. He finds that way that he wants to use. He finds that person he wants to use or situation or circumstances or open door. And I know God's been faithful. He has done it, but maybe not the way that you would have ever conceived. Um, He has a lot of those stories. I believe he lacked $40,000 on the hospital they were building in Kenya. Kenyans had given the government, given him land to build a hospital there. or Roberts was actually going to supply the doctors for that facility. And he had funds, but they were, you know, earmarked for other projects. And so, you know, he's at a, at a meeting in uh, Texas, and uh, he's about to go uh, up on the elevator, and at last minute, you know how those doors close like that, and here comes somebody's hand? <laughs> and opens the door, this lady, she's just been out jogging in a, in a, in a pink running suit, and she just gets on, says hello, greets everybody, she's standing there looking at the, the inside of the door, and then comes to her floor, and before she leaves, she turns and says, Brother Jerry, the Lord told me to give you this. And it was a $40,000 check. You can praise God for it. What you don't want to say is that stuff never happens to me. Wrong attitude. Shout it out. That stuff happens to me all the time. Come on, say it again. That stuff happens to me all the time. Now, Jerry was praying about that earlier in the day. He's saying, Lord, here's how I want you to do this. I'm going to get on this. I'm going to get in the elevator with other speakers. And at the last minute, this lady who's been out running is going to come in and put her hand on the elevator door. And stop it. And she's going to get on board and sit there very politely until she comes to her floor. And she's going to turn around and hand me the check the amount we need to complete the construction project in Kenya. Lord, thank you. In Jesus name. Amen. Right. Not in a million years. And you and I have been programmed to think, amen. If you have a need, amen, bow down to the mailbox. That's where it's coming from. <laughs> Does he need a mailbox? No. But you see how people begin to think that you know they're in the driver's seat with a the how. The how is not your department. Say it with me. Believe in God. Believe in God. Crying out. Amen. That's my department. If you're the widow woman, you know, in the Old Testament of Zarephath, uh, she's crying out and praying, and here's how I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to send somebody else for you to take care of. Not in a million years, which you've come up with that. But she obeyed God and the rest is history, isn't it, church? Come on, I say it. That stuff happens to me all the time. You cry out and say, God, here it is. Here's the pressure. Here's the circumstance. Here's what your words is. I'm thanking you. I'm praising you for it. Do not go in there and try to figure out how he's going to do it. I mean, honestly, how many can you raise your hand and so say, you have burned a lot of midnight and a lot of worry over the how? What am I? What am I? What am I? What is that? That is flesh being glorified instead of uh, waiting upon the Lord. Amen. How do you deal with the pressure? Take refuge in God. Cry out to Him and know that He sends His love and His faithfulness. He's going to encourage you, sustain you, empower you, and inspire you. You know, you're saying all I want Him to do is alleviate the pressure. No, He's going to at times sustain you. While He's working things out, He's going to encourage you. Amen. And while He's encouraging you, learn to do what David did in that situation when he was under persecution or pressure. Learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Well, the church ought to know that I'm going through something and somebody ought to encourage me. You know what? Maybe God's just trying to grow you up, baby. Maybe the Lord would like to take the pacifier out of your mouth and teach you to encourage yourself in the Lord. I'm just telling you, there are times when no one's going to be around. And I'll tell you something else too. The devil can have you in such a bad place in terms of your mindset and your emotions where people could be all around you encouraging you and you don't even hear it. No one cares, no one calls, amen. No one writes, no one texts, no one IMs, no one Facebooks. We have a thousand ways to be encouraged, amen. And so what do you do? You encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen. Amen. You come to the body of Christ for him anyway and to serve him and impact other people's lives. And sometimes it may seem like you're out there all alone, just floating around, you know. God, where are you? Where is your people? Well, you learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Turn to somebody my tell them, encourage, yourself. encourage yourself. Come on, say, encourage yourself, encourage yourself. In, the Lord. in the Lord. It's not uncommon for people under immense pressure to hear God tell them how much He loves them, how much He's for you, and that God be for you. Who can be against you? You Say, well, I would like him to tell me that verbally. Just open up the book and you'll find out how much he loves you. You can't read that Bible without discerning how much God loves you. It's just filled, amen, with statement after statement after statement. And you know you've been taught in this church. God just doesn't talk love. He demonstrates love. It's actionized in how he loves his people. Amen. Amen. Which tells you it's going to come through. So, say it boldly one more time. That stuff happens to me all the time. <laughs> How many of you ever confess the other? That stuff never happens to me. You hear a testimony and you want to rejoice, but instead you say, That stuff never happens to me. Keep saying that. It'll never happen for you. But let's neutralize that tonight. Shout it out. That happens to me, that happens to me. <laughs> all, all the time. Keep on <laughs> <All the time. laughs> saying it. That stuff That's happens to me. All the time. You know what will happen? It'll happen with greater regularity. That's how faith works. Number three, and this is something I want to really just encourage you tonight in give him steadfast praise. Give him steadfast praise. What do you do when you're under intense pressure? Give him what? Steadfast praise. Shout out, say praise him. Praise him. My heart of God is steadfast, verse 7. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I'll in the dawn. I praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And let me tell you something. He's writing this while someone's trying to kill him. What are we writing when someone's coming after us? What are we doing? What are we saying? I tell you what he's doing. He's giving his father steadfast praise when the threat is real. Saul means business, and so do the men that serve him. Psalm 8 2 tells us that God has ordained praise to what? Silence the foe and the avenger. Now we're under pressure, so what do we do? Steadfast means resolute, firm unwavering say it with me steadfast it means resolute firm unwavering it's not based on how you feel it's not based on your circumstances it's not based on whether you're under pressure or not you're resolute you're firm you're unwavering you get up tomorrow morning and you feel good guess what you're gonna do you're gonna praise him you get up and you feel horrible what you're what you gonna do praise him you get up tomorrow morning and you're high on life what you gonna do praise him you get up tomorrow morning and you feel depressed what you're gonna do you're going to praise Him. Somebody cuts you off at work, what are you going to do? Praise Him. Somebody takes the credit for something you do, what are you going to do? Praise Him. Somebody cusses you out, what are you going to do? Cuss them back. Cuss them back. No, you're going to <laughs> praise Him. You're not going to stoop down to their level. You're going to what? Because you've got a mindset Based on this scripture, when someone's under this kind of pressure, what I'm going to do is I'm going to praise him. I'm going to be steadfast. I will tell you this. You have a secret weapon the devil does not like you using that, of course, he wants to suppress. If you ever get a hold of this, sustained, steadfast praise will throw you over the top every single time. And it absolutely aggravates the devil. What are they praising God about? Don't they know what I'm doing? They don't have two nickels to rub together. Every bill is late. Don't they know how physically ill they are? I'm telling you, it befuddles the enemy. It silences the foe and the avenger. When you make up your mind, you're going to be steadfast in praise no matter what you see. Good day, bad day, up Down, in between, amen. Financial surplus, financial lack, feeling great, feeling poor, amen. Everybody loves you, everybody hates you. What are you gonna do? Steadfast, resolute in your praise life. Praise means vocal adoration. Say it with me, vocal. Vocal. It means sound comes out of your mouth. As a Lutheran, we master the art of moving our lips with nothing coming out. But that's not what you are. Amen. You're a praise. People can have it. Amen. And it means vocal adoration. It is not silent, quiet, contemplative worship. That's not what's being taught here. It's about you giving God resolute. Amen. Vocal adoration. If it's not vocal, it's not praise. Come say it. If it's not, vocal, it's not vocal, it's not praise. Listen carefully. You will find that the victory very rarely comes in silence. Now, we're not talking about the worship side of this. We're talking about being under pressure. It's already given. Point number one, you're pressing further into God during this time and season of pressure where you're seeking Him, you're you're worshiping Him, you're in His presence. That's already granted. What I'm talking about is you deliberately all day long saying, don't got any answers, but I'm praising God. Don't feel very good, but I'm praising God. Amen. Just got another bill and I'm praising God. Hey, Martha, we just got another bill that we aren't able to pay. Praise God. Or if you get a bill from the hospital, lately a lot of the hospital bills have been coming double charging people. Praise God! God's gonna give me double for my trouble. (laughs) Unfortunately, it works the other way. The more pressure, the more quiet we get until we're like this. And He's got us where He wants us. Praise is a weapon. Say it with me it's a weapon. There are certain weapons, you know, in modern warfare that the enemy doesn't want to see coming over the horizon. You know, one of those instruments has been very famous. It was in the, in the Gulf Wars. Uh, you know, uh, the 18 aircraft, you know what I'm talking about, brother? It shoots uh, a Gatlin gun, and I can't remember what the caliber is, but uh, is a 50. And if you're, if you're in, you know, a, you know, a piece of artillery, and you're in an artillery unit, or you're in, you're in a tank, or whatever you read, it's just, it's not defendable. And last thing you want to see is this thing flying low over the horizon and hear that gun go off. It's the scariest sound if you're down there because you know what's going to happen. Uh, praise is not a defensive weapon. It's an offensive weapon. And when you praise Him, it's something that, that neutralizes, you know, all this warfare against your mind and against your emotions. It just resets you spiritually when you do this deliberately and on purpose. Now watch this also. Everybody say we're talking about pressure. Say again. Say pressure. Praise is your pressure valve. And when it gets intense, you just praise Him and it releases that to a functional level. Listen, you're going to have this back and forth. You're going to have this thing give and take and like a tug of war in your life, but you're always going to have praise to deal with this thing. That no matter how it gets, all you gotta do is do what: praise. Come on, shout it out! Praise God! Praise God. <laughs> Amen. What happens when the pressure turns up again? Not if, when you praise Him again. Now watch this phrase: "Awaken the dawn." It's very, very interesting. "Awaken the dawn" implies that what? That you might be up before. The dawn, which all makes signals that the highest priority in your life is not necessarily sleep until two or three, amen, right, or all the other things you've got to do, but your highest priority is what? Is God. But listen to this. You're waking the dawn, you are actually taking and shaping the environment around you at the beginning of the day. Here's the application. Whoever gets the environment first usually keeps the environment all day long. And how many times have you and I given that to the enemy? Are you here? You need to get up every morning shaping and taking the environment before the enemy has any say in that situation. Before that pressure talks to you and it will talk to you. But when it comes around to talking, you can say, uh, "I've already taken the environment here." Yes. Do you see the principle? It's what uh It's what he spoke to me about called the, the law of first focus. Say first focus. first focus. What is your first focus when you get up? All over the country, the first thing most people do now is grab their phone. Amen? Uh, you're here on a Wednesday night, so I'm going to assume the first thing you don't do is grab a cup of coffee and cigarette. Can I have an amen? Amen. My most vivid members of my grandpa sitting in his kitchen table. He's pulling whiskers out with tweezers, smoking pommas, and drinking coffee. Not necessarily in that order. (laughs) That was it. Well, say it with me. The law or the principle of first focus. What's the first thing you're focusing on when you get up, the problem, the pressure, the circumstance, the situation, what people said about you, what they did, how they're opposing you at work? What are you doing? Uh, you know, Is it some news program, some TV program? Is it your phone? Is it some kind of pressing problem? Is it some work issue? I mean, is, is God completely an afterthought? Your first focus. When you wake up, should be praise out of your mouth. And if you do that, you will seize the environment immediately, and your day will go the direction of a praise filled day instead of a pressure filled day. That's entirely up to you and to me. Our eyes pop open, and again, you don't have to wake the whole house up. But beginning to praise God. When I was in college and lived at the old Kylefa uh, House, which is where that Italian restaurant is now on 15th Street, and it looks a lot better than it did when we lived there. <laughs> and uh, my bedroom was actually adjacent to, you know, the shower area, the restroom area that everybody in the house used. And Mark would go in there in the morning, he'd be in the shower, and he'd be praising God. I had to learn the law of first focus because the first thing I heard every morning Oh, yeah. Sound like a frog, man, I'm telling you. But somehow, by the time it got to heaven, it sounded like a symphony, you know, and a virtuoso. But next to my room, it sounded like a frog. Every morning. Two things. Yeah, you say, praise the Lord, you weren't there. I really, looking back on it, it was just his way of getting us up for morning prayer, you know, that kind of a thing. But I'm just telling you, the guy could win souls like nobody you've ever known. Uh, I mean, just just radical for the Lord. You know, disciple people and people who listen to him were blessed because of it. You know, people who didn't, you know, this is the way it is. You listen to the word of God, you live a blessed life. You don't, you don't. It's up to you. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was just the practice, first focus. Say it with me, not my phone. See how weak that was? was (laughs) Some of you are visibly shaking right now. (laughs) Say, not my phone. Not not cigarettes. Not not coffee. Not not TV. Not not news. Not work. Not emails. Not not text messages, messages. But what? Your praise. The law of first focus and when you do that you will strip the enemy of that day I challenge you get up God doesn't care how you sound chances are you sound better than Mark (laughs) he's probably had a vocal transplant by now in glory (laughs) amen but you take and shape that environment of that day Not later on. Not two hours later. Whoever seizes that day, whoever takes that environment is more likely to keep that all day long. You will be ahead, not behind when more pressure tries to come your way. Now write this down as we close this out tonight. When you you apply the law of first focus, it's praise over the problem. Say that with me. It's praise praise over the problem. Say it. it's praise, praise. Over, the over the pressure. And how many can raise your hand and so say you know what pressure is like? All right, say it with me. Everybody has pressure, yeah. right? Raise your hand if you're undergoing some kind of pressure. So then what can you do tomorrow? You can make the pressure your first focus, or you can make praise your first focus. Put the pressure back on the problem. That's one of the ways you separate the pressure from the problem because I'm telling you, in most of our lives, the pressure is always 10,000 times worse than the original problem. And so, what we do, we seize the environment. When you do this, you're going to determine, you know, the atmosphere. Say it I determine, I determine. The, atmosphere. I determine. the atmosphere. It's going to be peace and joy and victory. And faith, there's going to be a spirit of faith upon you as you walk out the door because you determine, you apply that principle and you first focus on your praise life instead of the pressure. Amen. Number two, this is how you determine the attraction in your life. How many want to attract good things into your life tomorrow? Or more problems? As you set the tone with your praise life as you get up, you waken the dawn, the law, the the first focus. Not only do you set that atmosphere in your life, you walk around in joy and victory and peace. People don't even know what's going on with you. They think you're high, you're drunk. No, I'm just uh, applying the law, the first focus. And I'm squarely upon what God said and what he's doing in my life, and I'm praising him for it. But you also, you know, set what's attracted into your life. Not necessarily in a day, you know, given, you know, a specific day, but over time you'll see this work out. You will actually attract things into your life when you focus on them. You focus on that problem more, guess what you're going to have? That's how this works. You're actually demonstrating faith in the pressure in the problem. And instead of doing that, you're going to praise God. Amen. And when you praise God, you get to attract the things associated with God. Hallelujah. Can I tell you this? God honors those that praise Him. Praise is a manifestation of honor towards the Lord. And when you don't even have the strength to look up and you go ahead and by faith praise Him, it honors Him. And you're going to attract powerful things into your life. Say it with me. It determines the atmosphere. It determines What I attract. Number three, it determines your attitude. And everybody in your household will say amen. They'll be so glad that you apply the law of first focus and praise God. I'm just telling you that praise makes you kinder. Praise makes you more polite. It's very hard to go through the drive-thru and be praising God and then bite somebody's head off. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Are you kidding me? And if you go to Walmart, you know, where there's, there's a serpentine line now. Because here, here's what they did. You see, Here's, here's how, how poor organizational leadership can destroy a company. Here's what we're going to do. First thing we're going to do is take away all the sovereignty of local management to make decisions for that location. We're going to make them all over here because those people are just stupid to know what to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take out most of the cashiers, And self-checkout things. And we're going to save all this money on personnel. And then they find out they're losing millions on shrinkage because unscrupulous people have figured out it's easy to walk out the door with things you haven't scanned. So now what they're going to do? They're going to put you in line and tell you which one you can go to to try to deal with the shrinkage that they caused by being cheap. Now, I heard my wife say this after coming home the other night. I hate this place. <laughs> this is Miss Walmart. <laughs> Me? I stay away from that place like the plague. Y'all remember before COVID when they were open like all night long? If I went to, if I went to Walmart, it was 1 o'clock in the morning. Amen? Just nothing. And when you're going through that serpentine line, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I actually know how to fix their wagon. It's a little bit mean, so I'll tell it to you, and then you just forget about it. Amen. Go back to praising God tonight. <laughs> but, like, have a, have a flash mob. Like, two or three hundred people show up, and everybody fill up their baskets, at least one, to the brim. Make sure there's perishables in it. And then everybody just walk out the door. Just leave them right there. <laughs> you like that, right? <laughs> the people... <laughs> So what do you do instead? Stay with me. Ball first focus. I'm not focusing on the stupidity. I'm not focusing on the line. I'm doing what? Ball. I got up that morning. I wake in the dawn. Praising the Lord. And I'm not letting Walmart get my victory. So what am I doing? I'm just praising the Lord. You know, if I lived in L.A. and had to sit in traffic two, three hours a day, I'd be tempted to lose my victory. But a lot of people spend time working, that kind of a thing. And a lot of believers actually just take that time. You know what they're doing? That's their praise time. That's their worship time. Now You're going to have opportunities for pressure and frustration every single day. But your first focus when you get up that day, that's going to determine it. I'm not saying you have to pray five hours that morning before you walk out the door. I am saying, though, that just starting your day with the right focus before everything else, it is going to help you deal with the pressure. It's going to bring peace and victory and joy into your life. And you're going to seize the atmosphere that day. Now, honestly, if somebody raise their hand if this is you. There have been many days where you know that you did not shape the atmosphere before you left the door. You just did not do it. Bunch of heathen, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no? anybody just, Anybody here? So what can you do? You can make a quality decision. The law of first focus. Look at somebody say the law of first focus. Don't let all these other things be the first thing that you focus on. Focus on praise. Why? It's a weapon and it is a pressure valve for your life. Amen? See, you're never going to have a time on this earth where there's just no pressure. That's, That's my goal. I'm using my faith preacher for no pressure. Let me know how that works out. You know, a lot of people do this. They think, I don't want to ask God or believe God for anything else because every time I do, it's a faith assignment. There's pressure there. The nature of walking by faith is that you're going to have times of pressure. And you can either try to sustain yourself underneath that, you know, yourself, or you can rely on God to do it. But say it one more time. The law. The law. A first focus. first focus. Not after you're already aggravated. Right. Already got five horrible emails. Amen. Got some text from some family member you haven't heard for a long time and all it is is negative? Or got some bad news about somebody's health? Or got a bill? Don't wait until something else is your first focus. Focus first on Him by praising Him. And watch how much better you'll handle all that news when it comes. Can you get a hold of this tonight? you receive it in Jesus' name? Come on, give Him a hand clap and let's thank Him for it.